So that silent killer, it's the things that you can't see. So a bit like in health and well-being, high blood pressure, can't see any of that. But actually it might be quite dramatic, but silently killing. And it was just that concept of that within business. That's Susanna Simmons, software adoption doctor, feel-good fitness coach and author of The Mystery of the Lost Customer. She is a multi-passionate entrepreneur who has found a beautiful bridge between the two things she loves in business, taking better care of customers and themselves. In this episode of Your Truth Shared, we discuss the idea of customer retention, the difference between users and customers, and we also explore the idea of being a multi-passionate entrepreneur. It's more common than you think, you know. I'm Fanola Howard, intuitive marketer, your host and founder of How Great Marketing Works. I believe that every business has a story to tell because that's how the market decides whether to buy or not. And your story has to resonate with who you are and with the people you want to serve. And this podcast is about helping you reach the market in a way that feels right to you. So if you're an entrepreneur with a dream you want to make real, then this is the podcast for you because great marketing is your truth shared. And I want to introduce you to somebody who's an expert in the space of customer experience, okay? And I thought it was about time we talked about this stuff. And one of the things that came up in our intro call together was the statement of every, if you're in business, you're actually in customer experience. So I thought, God, that's a really great way to start this episode. So I want to welcome Susanna Simmons. Welcome, Susanna. Thanks, Fanola. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm delighted to have you on because it's such an important perspective. And I know you've just written a book and we're going to talk about that in a second. But tell us about what your business is and your day to day work is so that we can understand this idea of customer experience a bit more. Would that be okay? Yeah, that's absolutely fine. So, um, well, I suppose one of the first things to say about my business is I didn't even realize I was in customer experience at first. Uh, so I, I actually have two businesses. So let's talk about the, the business I have as the software adoption doctor, which is the one that's related to customer experience specifically. Um, and as the software adoption doctor, uh, my aim is to help software companies do a better job of primarily onboarding their their customers, but also sort of serving their customers to get their their products um, adopted and not just assuming just because someone's bought that it's going to get used and actually those those customers are loyal. Um, so are they not good at that? <laughs> no. <laughs> well some of them are obviously well, but probably a lot of companies are not good at that. Yes. Um, and, and that's, I know we're going to talk about the book in a bit, but that's partly kind of what um, came out of, of that process is that, you know, it's not just unique to to software companies. Uh, there, I have a lot of sort of experience in the software world. And that's why I specifically um, sort of target that audience. And um, that's my niche. Um, but yeah, you're right. Uh many businesses aren't good at that. And there is this sort of assumption that when a sale is done, you know, that's it. 
until you hear from someone on a customer support call or via a support chat, those sorts of things. Um, and yeah, that isn't necessarily the case. And actually, uh, we are in a as a service world these days and recurring revenues are a big thing for businesses to grow um, and to continue to exist. And so for me, it's really, really important that we are thinking about those customers, how we are kind of getting them committed to using our products and services and also how we are then going to encourage them to refer us to to other ideal clients. Yeah, I like this. So let's kind of talk about this idea of recurring revenue. So one of the things that so often from a marketing perspective and a, and a lot of businesses and any size of business get caught in this sales cycle trap where it's just the sell, the sell, the sell. And they're leaving money on the table because they don't care of the don't take care of the people that they have secured. But the other thing that I notice in larger businesses that happens a lot in smaller businesses because they haven't created something else for that customer to buy. But in larger businesses, what often happens, and I think this ties in nicely with the work that you do, is the sales department and the customer services department is often siloed. They don't actually speak to each other. Yes. And actually, I think that means that that problem that you've just said is common um, in smaller businesses actually helps in the lot exists in the larger organizations as well because you've got those silos because you're not sharing that information uh i know product and sales are maybe coming out with uh, the latest and greatest thing that they think but actually if you listened to your your customer support your customer success account management people they'd be telling you that actually your customers are really shouting out for x because this would really add value to them and so again they're leaving money on the table they're also potentially leaving money on the table in terms of uh, sort of additional support in terms of services, in terms of consulting and training and those sorts of things in large organisations and actually ca- could have a revenue stream from that, which is one of the areas that I was involved in for a good few years was around customer education and actually that being a legitimate revenue stream for software businesses. Um, but it it sometimes ends up just being a one of done. We've got that out there. Customers have got access to it. It's done. We just let them get on with it. And actually kind of building that relationship means that they could do so much more and it would be a win for both the business and the customer. It also makes me think that sometimes we, uh, when, when the business grows and things get really busy, that distance between, you know, when you start in business, you're like so excited for every single customer that you have and you wrap them up in the big hugs and you cherish every single one of them. And then you realize that you don't have a lot of time to cherish every single one of them. And so that they become further and further and further away from you. And that means you don't hear their voices telling you, I actually need this now, which is what you're saying. Yeah. Definitely. And it, it's about as as you scale, how do you keep that that relationship and al- almost that intimacy, but in a, 
easy, systemized way. It, uh, who do you need? What processes do you need? And making sure that those are working effectively as well, because sometimes there's assumption that we've got the processes, we've got the people, it's all good, but actually that stuff breaks. And so it's about regularly checking in on that and making sure that those are doing what they need to be doing for your business. And in smaller businesses, that idea of process kind of scares them. Yes. Whereas process actually gives you the space to have that intimacy with that customer by getting all yes. the everyday stuff out of the way and giving you that freedom. Do you feel that? Is that what you see? Yeah, definitely. And, and it's it's that investment in, in sometimes stuff that's not necessarily easy or maybe not the most fun thing. Uh, as, as small business owners, we wear very many hats, don't we? And, um, and also, I think the, the sales and marketing side of, of business gets talked about a lot. And there are lots of people out there giving uh, well-meant advice about what we need to be doing about sales and marketing. And, and you intimated it earlier, there's, there's this this whole thing about in order for me to have a business, a successful business, I have to be selling, I have to be selling. And in order to get the sales, I need to do the marketing. And yes, you need customers um, to have a successful business. However, I see too many businesses putting all of their energies into the sales and marketing and then not putting enough energy into the operational side of things, the systems, that bit that goes on after the sale to make sure that that experience is is a good one um, and that the the customers and the the users of the products and services are are happy in a a good state of well-being uh, to be able to kind of carry on uh, using that product service but like we said already you know referring that in um so yeah it's it's time and energy worth investing uh, but it may be the the results of that aren't as obvious as being able to say yes I've got a sale you've got a financial tangible result from that you don't necessarily see a tangible result from investing the time and energy in that that system process stuff that we're talking about so I get I'm learning two things from you so do you do you feel then that so it's just not exciting work one is it well it is for some but (laughs) yeah (laughs) I know um but I'm wondering, can it be made to be interesting and exciting? Maybe it's that realization of the impact that it can have. But oh, okay. So this is the the first thing is this idea of that it's it's um it's process. So it's got to be trudge work. It's got to be boring. It's got to be a pain in the ass. And the other part is that you can't see the result. That's interesting. So when things are good, we can't see the result. Can we see the result? That's my question for you then. How can we see the result of that effort of putting in those systems to make sure that customer experience is really um, optimised? Well, I suppose that one of of the results that you do see that actually we possibly don't measure to a certain extent is the fact that we're not firefighting because things are working and therefore we haven't got, we don't spend our time firefighting and fixing problems. Um, There's obviously an element of terms of um, checking in with 
with customers and and users to to make sure that things are working, but not to the extent that we are um, sending them a feedback survey every five minutes because that that's counterproductive and kind of swings them the the other way. Um, so that I think there's a there's a fine balance of finding the measures and the the way that works for you to, to be checking in uh with that to stop making assumptions and avoid making assumptions um yeah without it becoming sort of a thing of constantly asking that question of of customers and irritating them yeah i hear two things from you so things like leaving money on the table as well because we can't hear what what they're shouting at us to say i really need help with this and you are actually in the position to create a solution for me, whether it's a product or a service, and I would buy it from you. And I'm not alone. I'm here with all my other uh, similar customers of yours, and I'd really like to get this from you. So that's really interesting. The other thing that comes to me is um, at what stage do you think, uh, and I know we haven't discussed this before, but I'm, I'm sure you have a thought about it in terms of CRM systems. At what stage do you think a business, like CRM systems are very interesting because they can often get preoccupied with workflow as opposed to customer relationship management, in my experience. Um, at what, what are your thoughts on CRM? What are your thoughts on what point does somebody invest in CRM? Uh, it's a really, really good question. Uh, and when I have been asked before, you need to be really clear about what you want to use CRM for. Um, and like you say, there there could be that tendency to for the CRM to focus more on that workflow rather than relationships. I think a really important point for small businesses is you need some way to be be tracking that information um, and one of the benefits of having a, a CRM system rather than having spreadsheets is that in terms of GDPR and things you are in a better position because spreadsheets are no good from a GDPR point of view and keeping data secure. Um, so I would say that Eddie, you want you want some form of customer relationship management system uh, right from the get go, and uh, and I'm going to put it right out there now. The whole thing of um, do as I say, not as I do, because um, I know I haven't been consistent on these things over the years. I know I'm better at helping other people do it than I am for myself. But um, but it, that system, and when we say a CRM system, that doesn't mean you need to go out and buy an expensive tool. It's having a system, a way of recording the information, tracking um, what what's going on with that relationship, making notes on key things that when you next follow up with someone, you've got something that, that is going to really sort of build that trust or build that connection. So you, you made a note last time you spoke to them that, I don't know, they're going on holiday to the Bahamas. So then next time you speak to them, you can say, oh, it probably feels like a lifetime ago now. But when we last spoke, you were going on the Bahamas 
to away to the Bahamas. How was that? And so it, it's just that connection piece, and it? it's that human connection stuff. Um, now it might be you can do it in your email client. It might be that you do do it as a spreadsheet initially. Uh, what I would hate is for uh, someone to go out and pay a lot of money for for something that has way more than they need that is way too complicated probably the company that they buy it from doesn't do a particularly good job of helping onboard them and understanding what it is they're going to be using the system for and therefore how to get the most out of it and so then it's an expensive mistake because it sits there not being used um and um and the the business owner goes, well, I don't need a CRM system. That's a waste of my time. And and also when you're on your when you're working on your own as a solo business owner, you think you can keep it all in your head. Uh, but uh, you know, and, and, and I that's do, the last thing you should do. Yeah, yeah and I do have um, a CRM system now because um, particularly as I'm not getting any younger, it's just like yeah, I know for sure that I can't keep stuff in my head. <laughs> I can't remember what I had for breakfast. You've been in business for 10 years. You won't remember every client. There's also like, that. Exactly. Don't be yes. too hard on yourself here. <laughs> so, so yes, um, mm. do it. Yeah, it's it, quite but, interesting because I think it's such a having those systems in place free you. Don't hold you in. They, like they free you once you have real, as you said, this idea of having very clear purpose behind them. Yeah. I think the other thing, and it kind of links back to what you were asking about how how do you know, you know, there's the power in the data. And then that's another thing, you know, there's a lot of talk about data these days. And again, that's something else that might switch some people off. Data's not their, their thing. Um, and, it, and it is about keeping it simple. However, if you're if you are tracking these things, it allows you to use those insights. It allows you to um, get an idea maybe of who is using your um, your product and service. Um, if they're not, why not reach out to them? And if they are, I don't know, reach out to them, find out how they're getting on, get information about what what they're loving, you know, what what's not so great. Um, so yeah, that that data stuff can be really important in terms of knowing how well you're doing, but also um, giving you the prompts to to take further action as appropriate. I think it's a good way to frame it that it's not just data; it's about having insights. When when we keep hearing the data thing we underestimate the power of the insights that come from it because we all got scared of the word data, I think. Tell us why you decided to write a book. Bravo, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Uh, So I suppose, well, uh, it's not one of those things that had always been on my bucket list to write a book. And then I'd met a, a, a book writing coach uh, who was launching a cohort and I'd thought, oh, that's an interesting idea. And then the timing wasn't right. And then uh, last year, I was in a, a state in my business where, I'd, to be honest, it was an intuition kind of gut feel thing of I felt 
ready. I felt like I had something to say. And I think part of that is probably some work that I'd done on myself and uh, the idea of imposter gremlins and who am I to to be to be writing a book and to to sort of who's going to read it and those sorts of things. Um, so that that was the initial step in terms of writing a book. Uh, as you know, I I didn't end up writing the book I thought I was going to write. I thought I was going to write a very sort of practical how-to book, which linked with into things that I had been talking to with uh, clients and prospective clients. Uh, but it it morphed into something very different to to that. Well, tell us the story of what it was going to be. Well, you have just told us that and why it changed, because I think this is really interesting because, you know, and, and some of the things that you said to me when we did our intro call was that idea of exploration in our business, not to be afraid to change our minds, to actually see what comes, listening to what comes and going that, OK, I knew this was an opportunity, but now I think this is a better opportunity. So that's kind of partly what I got from our conversation. Yeah, so so the um, the original idea was uh, I'd been talking about this idea of a customer experience chasm. So uh, companies, specifically software companies, they they make a sale and and then that sort of then gets thrown over the wall uh, to someone else in the, the the organization for the customer to then sort of navigate their way um, over to becoming uh, a using customer. Um, but I talk about this chasm because actually typically the customers just fall into the chasm and all the, the customer service people are doing are firefighting and spending their time trying to help those customers out of the chasm. And so I talked about this idea of building a bridge um, and in the ideal situation, they, the sales people would be kind of walking the first part of the bridge with that customer as the service person was walking over to meet them. And there was this really nice um, process to, to kind of get them over so that they didn't fall off and wobble off at, at any point. Uh, so yeah, so the the idea was is this it was a how to book. So I was in one of my early uh, cohort group sessions uh, and I was talking about the fact that I was the software adoption doctor and the fact that I had this bridge and I got challenged on it because uh, the idea of doctor and being quite sort of emotion and human focused I suppose sort of the compassionate side of things and the fact that a bridge was quite um, architectural structural and that the the fact that the two didn't necessarily sit too well together and and I sort of justified that of well that's I suppose that's kind of the point of that you need to take those two things of sort of structure, systems, processes and make them human with the empathy, empathy, compassion. And that's what I'm all about. Um, But it it just sat there with me for a little while and I was like, right, okay, well, do, do I need to do I need to get rid of the bridge? Do I need to get rid of the software adoption doctor? So I reached out to um, the communities that I'm in and um, the the resounding response was basically don't get rid of the software adoption doctor we love it and actually I'd had a lot of feedback from people that it resonated 
really well and, and they really liked it and it was unusual uh, it kind of makes me I suppose stand out to a certain extent um so then I, I kind of questioned the bridge a little bit um and I started thinking about analogies around the doctor and the medical side of things and I had these sort of moments where I was thinking oh yeah well um sort of software adoption and this ended up in the book uh so it it's like um when you take medicine i know it's it's only as good a product is only as good as if it's being used so um so yeah you can go to the doctor you can get them to prescribe you some medication but if you don't then go and fulfill that prescription at the pharmacy and then if you don't take it then you don't get any better when it's the same thing with the product you could buy it but if it just sits on the shelf then you're not really getting any value from it are you um so then it evolved into well actually um you know you can you can use something but if you don't use it properly so for example with you going back to your prescription um you're always told to take the full course of antibiotics and actually if you don't then actually you might just get sick again and and it's the same kind of thing um with with products and services actually you only get the full value if you're using stuff properly and so that was the next evolution of these things and so this was all going ruminating around and I was like right okay so I can use this doctor stuff more we're we're talking about something slightly different here we're talking about um kind of more around the the well-being side of things um and actually instead of it being a how-to book it was more and, and i'm not a big fan fan of the thought leadership um expression uh, that's probably says more about me than anything but it was more about it's a thought leadership thing of actually getting to people to think about this and this idea of um adoption and then it all came around to an idea of well-being um which i'm very passionate about it's what my other business uh, relates to as a, a fitness coach and i love i love this this feedback and the power of language that happened that seems to be a little bit uh prescient in terms of what happens in and how mm-hmm. your business is evolving it's quite interesting um language has such power over positioning language has such power over how we feel about our business how we relate to our business how we think about our business yeah keep going tell me about tell us tell the name of the book share the name of the book the the book is the the mystery of the lost customer could high customer satisfaction be silently killing your business uh, so that silent killer piece was one of the early bits as well it's the things that you can't see so a bit like in health and well-being i know high blood pressure you know your blood sugar levels so you might be sort of pre-diabetic you can't see any of that but actually it might be quite dramatic but silently killing and it was just that concept of that within business so so yeah so I I took that and it actually came around to this idea of user well-being and the whole thing about so in the software world it's very obvious um but actually there are so many examples and um, but in the software world you sell into let's go back to the example of CRM systems you might sell into a sales director a marketing director in a big organization but actually it's it's not them that are really using that product it's not really them that're going to make the product successful it's the the people within those teams there's a really important point just to share and it's so well illustrated in your book and it's the difference and this acknowledgement or the difference between 
a customer and a user, it may not be the nece- necessarily the same thing. So they might be the same, but they might not be. And understanding that in your business, for me, is really, really key. Um, so explain the difference for people. So, um, so for me, uh, a customer is typically sort of the person that's buying. Uh, so let, let's use an everyday example, uh, subscription to Netflix, for example. So in our household, the customer, uh, the person that will be down as the customer in the Netflix account will be my husband because uh, he's the one that, that's got the account. But there are three people in our family um and so you've got two other users of that netflix account there's me and there's our daughter who's 14 we have very different um and some similar uh viewing needs and so there's all sorts of things that come out of that in terms of uh, Dom and I as parents and the whole thing around sort of security of our daughter's account and so on. So we've got, uh, as users of Netflix, we've got some ideas around that. Obviously, we've got ideas about what we want to be able to access and what's suggested to us as individuals as well as as a couple. Um, Our daughter obviously wants to be able to find stuff that appeals to her. So whilst Dom's name is on the account as the customer, you've actually got three users there and and actually who is it that's going to say for example if Netflix sent out a a feedback um, request who is it that's likely to get that well that's the account holder that's Dom and so therefore that that feedback is probably going to be biased towards his view of Netflix and not necessarily mine and our daughters Um, but actually we still have that power and influence that if we're not using it Don might get to the point and go, well, they're not really watching Netflix and actually I'm not watching it as much. There's still X, Y and Z that really interest me, but I can probably find that on a different subscription. So then all of a sudden Netflix is gone. Um, so it, it that's the kind of thing it, uh, for me about the difference between a customer and user. Here's another question for you. <laughs> I'm asking lots of things we haven't spoken about in advance. It's hilarious. That's okay. Um. Something that comes up a lot and a question I'm asked a lot, and this would be familiar to you too. But when we're realizing that there's a difference between a customer and a user, often in some businesses, um, there is the person who pays the bill, who writes the check, and then there's the person who actually uses it. There's the end consumer of it. In your experience, in your opinion, when we talk about customer profiling, who do you profile? The customer or the user or both? Yeah, definitely both. And we're not trying to say that they need to try and um, understand kind of every single individual one of those. But it's that it's that kind of categories of people um, that you you need to understand um, and what's going to be important to them. So. Yeah, let's go back to the the Netflix example. You've got some very kind of clear um, sort of situations, haven't you? Like families and so on, and different sort of audiences within that. And so you 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 can you can find some commonalities, and you can and as much as anything, the power is in in thinking and working that through, um, and stepping back to take the time to do it even if it's not a hundred percent accurate and you don't get everybody um unfortunately 
a lot of times there are just assumptions and just like, well, we just focus on that that customer rather than thinking of the other groups of of people that have the the power and influence and the interest um, so that it gets missed. And that's where your silent killer is because you you can't do and this goes back to the insights you can't do anything with things you don't know about um and are those blind spots and you're not and again it's another case of leaving money on the table uh yes so what's very interesting yeah what's very interesting about you susanna <laughs> is <clears throat> you are what one is what people call a multi-passionate entrepreneur and what's very interesting as well in this journey in your business, because you're 10 years in business now, is how do you feel about that? Because often people are very conflicted about this idea and about can I do both? Should I do both? What does it mean if I'm doing both? Does it mean I can't focus? Does it mean I'm you know, not great at what I'm doing? What does it mean? Uh, it's a really good question. Because you said some really good things about this. I'll, I'll reflect back to you just to give you a prompt. And you said there are very, very few people who only do one thing. Yes. Yep. Uh, so let's start there. So when I said that, uh, what I meant was that there are so many people that are, you know, they, they maybe do a nine to five job or a, a whatever hour job. And then they might be on a, a committee. They might be a governor at their their child's school uh, run a club or they, they do um I don't know might have a side hustle um that um is is kind of a, a hobby you know that we're all <sighs> humans are fascinating and we've all got lots of interests and actually there's this idea that we have a job and that's kind of a key part of identity our identity but um we most of us have other interests and things we're not just um kind of a single single idea of what we're we're passionate about and so I suppose the difference with uh, someone like me for example this whole idea of a multi-passionate entrepreneur which I'm still not sure I like that that title but I'll, I'll stick with it um is that we actually make money from those different passions um and and it's about kind of that being okay um and I, I did go through a process. So my um, my other business, so the fitness coaching business, I sort of fell into um, and was very much, I suppose, a, a hobby business for, for a while. So I have been doing that for 10 years, um, as well as having the, the, the first business that we've been talking about as the, the software adoption doctor. Um, and um, I had a point where I was telling myself that I couldn't do both well. And so the the fitness coach side of things was just ticking along in the background um, and it helped keep me fit and healthy. Um, and then I was challenged by a coach a few years ago uh, who just asked me a very simple question. And I love it when a coach does this uh, is, well, why can't you? And it unlocked a whole lot for me uh, and I've now become very passionate about the fact that you know, it's your life it's your business or businesses who's to tell you that you can't um I think that um it, it, people say that you you can't 
do the two things well. Um, I disagree with that. I would say it's hard um, and you you have to... <laughs> You have to be open to, to learning things. I think also you have to be open to, we touched on this very briefly earlier, about this idea of experimenting and letting go. And the, the rate of growth for having multiple businesses will be different because your, your focus and your energy won't be going on a single business. Um, I know, and, and with mine, I... Uh, I've I sort of have in the past flip flopped a little bit, so my focus would be on one, and then it would sort of drop on one, and it would flip to the other. And and one of the things that I've you know I've recognised that I've built the awareness of that, and so then the my word for this year has been about consistency, and and how can I be getting better at being consistent on both so that it it's not so sort of one or the other throughout the year it's actually consistently sort of day by day or week by week or month by month that I am uh, working on both businesses working in and on both businesses um, what I like about this is um as I always say this this idea of when we're when I start working with somebody, it's always about success as you define it. And I just like what's happening more and more, which is this idea of success as a little box that we've got to take or to occupy. Those walls are just being shoved down, thrown out the window. And we're actually remembering our humanness and realizing, well, I get to pick how what this looks like. I get to choose how this feels. And if I want to do both, I can do both. Why can't I? I love I love the question your coach asked you. And and I think one of the king things that is really key in there is that taking the time to really understand yourself. Uh, and I've always been um, a big fan of sort of self awareness, and it's something that I continue. To, to do and I will never stop doing is learning about myself so that when people give you well-meant advice and sort of that whole thing of you should be doing this then you can you can reframe it and you can say well I could do that but actually I know myself well enough that that won't make me happy that's not part of my definition for success and one of the 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 big light bulb moments for me was um, about sort of my motivation and I don't, I'm not motivated by money. Um, I am motivated by uh, freedom, the freedom to choose. So that's why I love having the, the two businesses, because I get to, to choose, um, you know, how I spend my time, what I do, who I work with, um, the way that I work with them. Uh, and I also, I also love variety. Um, so therefore having the the two businesses um, allows me to do that as well. I know I don't, there's no chance of me getting bored, put it that way for Nola. But the other thing that's really interesting is your soul gets fed in both ways. And you know what I mean? That And your businesses feed each other because you're in a better, you know, in a more joyful space, in a better way of thinking about your business because all your needs are met in these two and obviously outside of the business, but your business needs are met by how they help each other. And there seems to be 
while they may or may not, who knows, ever fully merge or ever fully integrate, they are impacted by each other and colour each other's flavour. Would that be fair to say? Yes, definitely. Um, and the lessons I learn in, in one business, I definitely uh, end up um, applying in in another. And um, the there is definitely an evolution. And like you say, I don't, who knows whether the two businesses will become one. Uh, they are certainly dovetailing into each other much, much more. And that probably says something about where I am on my journey, um, uh, as well as sort of where the, the businesses are, you know, and what kind of, I suppose, you know, links to my my passion and purpose in, in life um, and sort of uncovering, you know, that continuing to uncover what's really important to me um, and how I want to, to help and serve people. What would you like people to walk away with today, Susanna? Uh, so I, I suppose that there's, there are uh, one key thing would be what we said about, um, you know, it, it's your business, it's your life. Uh, so that whole kind of reframe the shoulds to the coulds, um, and you know, take the feedback. You know, feedback is a gift, but you don't have to do things the way that other people do. I stopped listening to to intuition through kind of a, a period in my my life in my career I think and it's been in the last 10 years that I've understood that and I've realized so I know listen to that that gut instinct and you know what you're you're feeling called to do and and have the people around you to to help you listen to that to have a support network that was something I mean, we, we haven't really touched on it but that's something that's been really important to me in this last 10 years that I've I've learned is that I need like-minded people people who are in sort of similar situations to me in terms of running a business um you know just surrounding yourself with people who are still in the the kind of corporate nine to five they, they don't necessarily understand it so that kind of community and network is really really important uh, in my opinion I loved that you you said when we talked about networks and the importance of networks, it's actually not just about the importance of the network. It's the importance of the right network. Yes, definitely. Because you, you need the one where you you can kind of take off the game face, as it were. You can be vulnerable and you can say, actually, I'm having a rubbish day or I'm having a rubbish month. And you've got people that are there to give you a virtual hug or um, just have a, a sort of a coffee or whatever it is that you might need. But then also you've got um, people there that when when things are going well, that will give you a high five and celebrate with you and and, and sort of enjoy following along with the journey. And, and it's all reciprocal as well. And so, but you, you, the key thing with that is you learn that you're not alone. And all the other people are going through these things as well. And at different times, we're all going through different things. And also being able to say, well, actually, there's stuff going on in my personal life that's an absolute nightmare right now, which means the focus on my business has dropped because it happens. Life Life happens, doesn't it? All these things happen, and it's just having somewhere to, to say it's okay, and you, all this too shall pass. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's really, really important. Um, and then in in, other, in terms of sort of other takeaways, uh, I think the key thing for me is uh, if from a practical kind of 
customer experience, customer success point of view, I would love people to be thinking about asking themselves that question of, well, who's my customer and who is my user? Because I think that can really unlock things for for a business, no matter what size or where they are in their journey. Because I don't think people always think ask themselves that question. I love it. Thank you so much, Susanna. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you'd like to find out more about Susanna, check her out on LinkedIn or look for her book on Amazon. It's called The Mystery of the Lost Customer. Could high customer satisfaction be silently killing your business? And if you'd like to support the show, please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and reach out and let me know your takeaways from this episode. What would you like to know more about? Send me a quick message and I'll reply.